0: I'd like to read the word of the Lord to you from Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. And now they are bringing infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, friends. Good morning. Well, good morning, kids. Good morning. You're all my kids. You're all my kids, right? I, I, I feel a fatherly infection towards everybody here. Um, I, I'm, I'm glad that you're here today. I truly enjoy watching each one of you grow up in Christ. And, and some of you are like infants. You're, you're just getting started while others are in elementary school and you're excited and you're ready to learn. And some of you are like rebellious teenagers thinking that I have nothing to offer you today. Kind of like teenagers sometimes with their parents. And, and some of you are actually discipling others and, and having your own spiritual children whom you are helping to grow. Friends, the, the church is, is not an organization. The, the church is a family. And we have people at every stage in that family here at Crosswinds. And, and if we haven't met today, um, my name is Ken, and I'm the pastor, or think of dad in a sense, uh, lower dad than father dad, but I'm here to watch over. And, and this is our family gathering. This is our, our family gathering. And, and, and we're so blessed to have people here from every stage of spiritual and natural growth. You know, a few minutes, we just dismissed our elementary school children to learn about Jesus with our wonderful teachers, um, Michelle and Rihanna. And we've been blessed with so many young children coming. It excites me to see grandparents like Mike and Barbara bringing their, their grandchildren to church. You know, it was my grandmother that brought me to faith. And, and so I could be your pastor. You know, these children that we have here with us, are, are very valuable in God's sight, like Aloe that's with us in, in the preaching. You know, we are blessed to have gifted leaders for our youth, like Abdu and Cleone and Emil. You know, we had 30 teens uh, a couple of weeks ago for the end of the summer splash, and they had a ball. And we've been having 10 or 12 teens every Wednesday for the last couple of weeks. We've got a bunch of new teens from another church that have been coming and hanging out. It's been great. You know, our, our family here at Crosswinds, we care about our kids. We, we really do. Caring about kids at every stage, whether physically or spiritually, is something that the family of God must do. You know, I've been se- serving as uh, a leader in the youth ministry here for about four years. And friends, I'm not gifted at it. It's not part of my job description. And frankly, I'm not paid to do it. I do it because I love our kids, and I love to see them grow and grow up, and they're important to our family. You know, my wife, Kathy, has served in the children's ministry either as a leader or a teacher or a nursery worker for the entire 18 years that we have had this church here together. Now she's acting as our first impressions leader because that's what's needed right now for us to connect new kids to our family, but Michelle and, and uh, Rihanna are doing a great job leading back there, you know. Before we started Crosswinds, we 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 both Kathy and I taught children and youth ministries at Friendship Baptist Church. Kathy actually started in ministry before I did because she's much more qualified than I am in so many ways. And and she ran an amazing vacation Bible school every summer for three or four hundred kids, and um, she did that like you know four or five years in a row. You know, I appreciate those of you that minister to our kids so much. And I hope all of you do too. And I and I hope you pray for them. And that whenever you have the opportunity, you get to encourage them. However, I, I, I do want you to know that they're often understaffed back in the children's ministry. And and, and they, they carry a, a big burden for us. And it would really be helpful if, if some of you that are able could dedicate one Sunday per month to assist them back there in in either children's or, or maybe to come on a Wednesday night and help out with the youth. You know, to protect children at Crosswinds, we conduct a background check and references on everybody that serves. And our, our protection policy states that two family members can't serve together. And so that means my wife and I can't work youth together and and, you know, Back in the back, ZNA, who just was wonderful up here singing, can't serve with her mother. So, you know, um, we, we can't have just Schultzes and Delports and Breezes serving. We need multiple people serving in the children's ministry so that we can keep the program going because it, it's difficult to schedule. So a few assistants would help the, the, the thing out a whole lot. Um, you know, our teens, Allie and ZNA, have been doing a wonderful job back in the children's ministry helping out. In their role as assistant leaders, uh, uh, Z and A went from singing up here. She filled in for Annika to run back there and be in the nursery. And 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 so it's awesome to see them serve. Many of our teens serve here in children's ministry and also in sound and line. We got Matthew doing lights, and uh, I think we got Kaylee doing uh, uh, production computer or words today. And all of our teens are great about stepping up. See, we believe here at Crosswinds that we want to create leaders from the youngest to the oldest. And and we're so fortunate to have such great leaders here. We have Gene and Annika who are working on the children's musical, and they'll be leading them on the 24th, and you want to be involved with them. But we're also going to need some other parents and and people to get involved and help guide and lead the kids and care for the, the kids and the teens there. And I'm saying all this, I know this is a long um, uh, uh, intro, but to emphasize that there's an opportunity for you here to get involved in what Jesus is talking about today. Not hindering the children from coming to him. See, children are hindered when his people will not serve them. And and, and you don't have to be gifted, and, and you don't have to be paid to serve. Your one qualification is you need love. You need to love, and, and, which is what Jesus has called us all to do. You have to love and care. And, and when you become a disciple, I want to tell you, you're hired. You're hired. You're part of the crew. Friends, you're, you're not on a cruise ship being served, but you're serving this little fellowship called Crosswinds Church. You know, having a, a pleasure cruise attitude towards a church hinders both spiritual and physical children from coming to Jesus. And so I want to look at this text a little more deeply and let's talk about that. In verse 15, it says, now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. Do you notice it wasn't the Pharisees that rebuked him or any other person? It was his own people. It was his own church that was rebuking the children's ministry. That Jesus was doing, right? See, today we're talking about mercy for the margins. And in Luke 18, Jesus is really spotlighting the underdogs of society in his stories. He mentions a widow that was pretty much on her own, and then a tax collector who nobody liked, not even the church or the church guy who thought he was better than him. And now Jesus is bringing kids into the pictures. Nowadays, sometimes we worship kids. We, we put them on a pedestal, and maybe we even spoil them a bit. But back in the day, in Greco-Roman time, they were treated like property if you were a kid. It, it was pretty harsh. Dad could even decide if his kids could live or die. Now, I might have said, I brought you into this world, and I'll take you out, but that, that, that would get me in jail. But back then, it wouldn't get, get you in jail, right? Um, uh, you know, kids could be disposed of based on their health or their gender kids were seen as workers not having any rights like we do today for our kids and, and scripture kind of hints at the the vibe back then with this text Because they're bringing even babies to Jesus. You know, do you see the kind of sarcasm in that? It's like, sure, let the the big shots, the Pharisees and the the scribes and the the bigwigs of religion hear what the the Master Jesus has to say. But babies, you know, keep them away from him. What could they possibly bring to the table? You know, but here's the thing the gospel kind of nudges us here to, to realize that we all start as newborns, don't we, in our journey with Jesus. Everybody starts as a newborn. And and, and the parents here were excited for Jesus to bless their kids. And and so they're bringing him so that, you know, because that was a tradition back in the Old Testament, to to lay hands and to give blessing. And so they're they're wanting the spiritual person, Jesus, to, to lay hands to pass on God's blessing. They didn't really know who he was, but they, 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 they were enamored with him and they wanted to do it. But Jesus' own crew, they found it annoying. They're thinking, well, Jesus has better things to do than bless some little babies. You know, those babies, they can't really contribute to our mission here. You know, we had an amazing uh, meeting this week about our finances. It's nice to be in the black, right, Mike? We've got some finances and our budget's looking good. Uh, because of our property sale, and also we've had some generous donations over the summer. And I mentioned that, you know, we got to sustain that, and that we're growing, but where we're growing is we've got a lot of new kids and a lot of new teens joining us, but they're not exactly helping us with the budget. are They They, they, they don't have jobs, right? They're, they're, and, and it's not the point, you know, when we're growing uh, that, you know, that they would have to give, you know, it, but it's important because it's not about dollars. See, when we take care of a baby in our nursery, we're, we're teaching them. We're showing them God's love. Even when they can't give anything back to the church, they can't serve here, they can't do anything, we're, we're just loving on them. And, and when our little children, they come and they drop a few pennies in the, in the collection plate or in the hope chest, or they draw a little picture of Jesus in their class... Friends, I, I believe that's a big deal to God. I, I believe God is happy because God's not looking at the amount on a check. He, he's looking at faith. And those, those little children, um, uh, the result is faith. And, 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 and it's neat to see them growing, wanting to be here on, on Sunday morning. And I, I want to make sure that we're giving our kids the time and the resources that they need to grow up in their faith. You know, a while back, we were talking about getting some Bibles for the elementary school class, and it was a few months back, and and there was talk about, you know, you know that just some of us as members, uh, Rihanna and Michelle, who's working, were going to handle it, and I offered to handle it, and, you know, it, because we do not want to touch the church budget because things weren't going well. And, you know, I, I think we always need to, I don't care what the budget is, we need to cough up for Bibles for kids, right? So if, the, if that's, so here's the thing, uh, you know, Again, amen for that, right? (laughs) Right? And I don't, you know, I I need to follow up with Michelle and see if we've got them. And if we don't, they just need to be bought. So um, we got to be there volunteering and donating to make sure our leaders have what they need to share God's word with our kids. It's about loving those and serving those who society might overlook because they're in the margin, just like Jesus taught us to do. Hey, and if it means going over budget, to make some of our youth, you know, happy and, and full of junk food you know, so they can connect to Jesus, then, then we need to be generous as a church to, to, to support that. You know, Paul described a church in 2 Corinthians 8.3, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own according, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief for the saints. I mean, what a great church. They're begging to put an offering, you know. Can I give more? Can I give more? I I think that's the awesome heart of the church, so that more people can grow up in Jesus. Friends, the church today, and I'm not saying our church, but the church in general today tends to act like consumers of religious goods and services. They, they, They often come on Sunday morning, and they're just saying, feed me, pastor, feed me. Make sure there's pleasant music in my ear. And when I hear someone say, hey, I'm not being fed, sometimes I know that they're kind of developing a selfish attitude, unlike Christ. In the family, you don't wait to be fed. Friends, you dig in and you eat. You know, in some big families, you might fight to get it into your mouth because you're hungry. And you know if you don't take the responsibility of sticking that food in your mouth, it ain't getting in there, it's getting in somebody else's mouth. Right. But also, if you're older and you're mature, and I've seen this with kids in Haiti, you make sure the little ones eat, you know, they make sure that they get a portion. And, and, and friends, church is not about you or me. It's about a family. And, and we work together to feed each other. And it's our responsibility to eat by attending life group and and by daily on our own reading God's word. And out of the abundance, we feed those younger who need some food. Actually, the best way to get friends, fed friends, you know how it, what, it, what it is? It's, it's feeding others. That's when you get fed the most is when you take the time to feed others. If you just sit there saying, feed me, pastor, you just get fat and you get discontent. When you focus on eating yourself and, and feeding others, you get fit, you get happy. And if, if you're thinking right now of leaving this family because I'm just not being fed, well, maybe you're thinking you're at a restaurant. And the church is not a restaurant, friends. It's a family. We eat family style here. We, we share big bowls at, at, at the table. And, and if you're not passing around your mashed potatoes and you're hoarding them in the corner, you're not enjoying the diversity of the meal that God has for you. And nobody else is enjoying the meal as much as they could because you're not passing your mashed potatoes around. Friends, the church is a potluck. All kinds of diversity to the meal. But you've got to bring something and then get up and, and see what else everybody else has brought. Sitting in the corner hoarding mashed potatoes is not fun. Nor is it fulfilling to anybody, including yourself. And you know, if you go to your next church treating it like that, you'll find your mashed potatoes are tasteless there eventually. Friends, join the meal. Have I mixed enough metaphors this morning? Have I? (laughs) I intend to today. Friends, this sermon's going to be a potluck, so I hope you're hungry. Right? Right? If not, maybe you need to work a little more around here so that you'll get hungry. Do you ever notice when you work hard, you get hungry, and anything tastes good? I mean, I, may, I might not be the best cook as a pastor, right? But Jesus said, blessed are, the, are those who are hungry, hunger and thirst for righteousness, for what they will be satisfied how, how well-fed you are has to do with your hunger, not how well the meal is prepared, right? In, in Africa, when we go on missions in Sierra Leone, Mama Rena breaks out the flour tortillas and the jars of peanut butter in the evening, and everyone from three years old to like 30, and sometimes this 59-year-old, are quickly in line, right? We're jockeying for position in line to get a half a tortilla, With peanut butter on it. With smiling and grateful faces. And it feels like a gourmet meal because we've all been serving hard and worshiping God all day. But here at home sometimes I walk in the refrigerator and I'm like, open up like, there's nothing. Exciting. Kathy didn't go to the store. There's just a few tortillas and some peanut butter. It, it, It seems like too much work to even get out a knife and slap a little peanut butter on one, right? It's just like, that's not exciting. That's not what I want. I, I, I brought a personal, and that story made me cry as I thought about it, a personal jar of peanut butter on my last trip to Sierra Leone because that's how I survived there. I, I just eat granola bars and peanut butter all week because I can't eat the food. And this little teen orphan girl begged me to give her the jar when I was done with it. And I'm thinking, because she wanted to make something with the jar. But no, it was so she could scrape out what I lazily left in there because it was too much work for my chubby little fingers to get in there. My waste was a treat to her. Are you wasting the food God has given you here? Friends, we don't want to hinder the children of Sierra Leone Orphanage from coming to Jesus because they don't have the strength to concentrate due to malnourishment or the kids in Haiti. We, we give a little bit of out of our abundance to Hands on Africa and, and New Life for Haiti, so people like Mom Marina can take back more peanut butter and tortillas on the next trip. And friends, I guarantee you that will not be wasted. When you help and you keep children coming to God, it's never wasted. It's an investment, no matter what the budget is. It's an investment that satisfies your own hunger. We can't think selfishly with our time and our money. That's a bad investment because his word says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know, some say, I'm burning out. No, friends, the problem is you're not eating or you're eating junk food. When you eat good food, you have plenty in you to share with the children in God's family. But Jesus called to them, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Now Jesus here is still talking about infants, not not cute little well-behaved children, well-washed in nice little Sunday school dresses or, or suits that were often in the Sunday school pictures. No, instead, these are crying babies with snot running down their nose, covered with flies because their diapers are not so fresh. These young eyes, they can't even focus on Jesus' greatness. Minds so unformed that they know nothing about his mastery with words. They have nothing to offer him. Except the love and the faith of someone willing to bring them to him. And I want to thank Todd and Kathy for getting some of God's children here today. And he says, let them come to me. That's what Jesus says. Let them come to me. Not to a fancy church with stained glass windows and high vaulted ceilings. Not to some fancy clergy in a dress. He he says, let them come to me. Friends, we, we don't come to a church or a church organization where we get better religious goods and services than somewhere else. We come to Jesus as infants to be fed his life, eternal life, through his words. Jesus says, do not hinder them. And I, I think that is a command, like a thou shalt not, thou shalt not hinder them. How do we hinder children from coming to a God who loves them and finds them valuable? Just like these disciples, when we have selfish attitudes. They're being selfish. They're rebuking people made in the image of God so that they could get their own agenda met. They place value on those who brought them value and placed no value on those who were in the margin, who were struggling. We hinder people from coming like children when we dismiss them because of their wealth, because of their age, because of their education, because of their social status or their gender or their politics or their sexual identity. They all have value to Jesus. And he would say that no matter how messy they are, let them come to me. I want them in my family. I created them to be in my family. And yes, they come here today with nothing, with lots of needs and little to contribute. But let them come to me. Because they'll grow up and they'll learn to serve others. Because that's what it is to be part of the family. Those are the family values that we serve one another. See, those that want to cry and Remain babies forever and rebuke others because their needs are not being met. Friends, they're not really family. So the family starts to look like the father who loves and sacrificially serves those he loves. We hinder them from coming to him when we judge babies for being babies. When we're not patient with them because of all their needs. Friends, babies are exhausting, if you've ever had one. They're exhausting. For a while, you know. You've got you to gotta do a lot of work with the babies when they first come. But they, they right? They're exhausting, right? Travis like, you yeah, had not slept in years. So, <laughs> you know, but if they come to Jesus, they learn, after all, to become a blessing to others. You know, Jesus' great commission is, is not to set up fancy nurseries for babies to cry and That's not the Great Commission going, I'm not being fed. I don't like the music. I don't think it's fair. I'm not recognized. I have to do everything around here. Nobody likes me. Nobody pays attention to me. I didn't get my way on that project. We're not creating nurseries for that kind of thing, right? This Great Commission was, go, baby, go. Right? Go, Therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Baby, stop crying around here. You're loved by Jesus. Now go do what he did. You're loved. In a family, we do the work of having gospel conversations and and teaching others what Jesus taught. If we're not still babies, we do that. We, 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 we do what he did. Paul said, but brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you're not even ready for it. Even now, you're not ready. We shouldn't be, in Christ, after 14 or 15 years, still drinking milk, right? We, we, we grow up. Solid food... In his family, friends, is the multiplication of the gospel. Often people that say they're not being fed mean they're not being entertained. Their intellect is not being stimulated with constant diet of new facts and new information. Information, friends, and I'm convinced this without obedience is just information. It's just something we consume. What good it is to know the whole history of the Bible if you do not obey what the Bible says to do. What good is it to know the letter of the law yourself and tell it to others if you don't seek to obey what Christ has simply told us to do? He said, come follow. Come learn from me and go fish. You know, the residency we're starting tonight is not about giving people theological degrees so that people think they're really wise. It's about learning how to love and serve others so that everyone thinks you're a fool. It's not to puff you up with a degree. A fool for Christ, someone who abandons their selfish pursuits in order to serve others, as Jesus did. You may not all know, but we're starting a a two-year residency to train up new church planners and pastors and and leaders in the church. And it's going to be practical, practical knowledge of how to serve other people. And that starts tonight at 7 Here's another way we hinder, um, oh, I'm sorry. Children and infants are not to cry to set the agenda in the family. But they are to learn and obey and serve the needs of that family. Here's another way we hinder children from coming to Jesus. It's, It's in how we parent our own children. The Bible says this, train up a child in the way they should go. And even when he's old, He will not depart from it. Proverbs 22, 6. If you have children, it's your primarily responsibility to train them in the faith. It's not the Sunday school. It's not the youth group. It's not the school district's job. We are all partners with you in this family. But we only see your kids a couple hours a week. You got them the, uh, the other 166 hours a week. There's not much we can do with them if you're not giving them any training at home. Most of what kids learn is caught, not taught. And they are around you catching things more than the children or youth leaders. We can build on a foundation that you start, but if there's no foundation, we're building on sand. You know, parents often come after years of not training or disciplining their children, expecting the youth group to fix them. You know, we want to help, but you broke them by not following God's design to train them. And so they're hard to fix right now. When I first got into ministry, it was in youth ministry, but I quickly transitioned to adult ministry because my gifting is getting at the root of problems the parents, the leaders. At Crosslands, I believe God has a design for all of life. He has a design for our marriages, for our parenting, for our finances, for our work, for getting along with others. And the Bible says right here we are to train. And here's the idea. Start young. Children are like wet cement. And you build their moral warehouse when they are young. And then when they harden as teens, which is natural that they harden as teens, you know, it's, it's part of it. But if you neglect to do it when they're young, it's, it's very difficult without God to get stuff in there. They got to get really broken. That was me because nobody trained me in the faith when I was young. I didn't have a father that stepped up and did that. And so I had to have my father, God, kind of throw me around for a while to break me up so that the word of God could get in there. Many parents today seek to entertain or to make their children happy, not train them. If if your greatest goal is for your children to like you, then you're probably not training them. Because training's not always fun. Training involves your example. It involves monotonous repetition and personal discipline for yourself. Teaching is much easier, because it's just a, a transfer of information, and then you're done. Training requires... You first to teach the information, then have them duplicate the behavior, and then you task them, giving them responsibility to do what you've trained, and then you track it. You give accountability. You see how they did it. We we teach that when we teach disciples. They're called the four T's. You teach, you train, you task, and you track. Teaching, or sometimes yelling, is a lot easier. It doesn't take as much of your time away from you. That's what training will do. Training is intentional, and it's by example. For instance, if you personally do not have a disciplined spiritual life of feeding yourself and helping other people eat, your children will not either long-term. Fathers, if you choose selfishly to sleep in, or watch the game, instead of leading by bringing your kids, bringing your family to church, your kids will learn by default to be selfish. If you're not a giver of time and money, they will not learn to be givers. Parents complain about entitled kids. Friends, where do they learn that from? Where do they learn that from? From us. If you don't pray, friends, they won't pray. If if you don't read your Bible, they won't read their Bible. Training is not a class. It's, it's It's a constant thing you do in life. The Bible says this. And the words that I command to you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Deuteronomy 6 through 7. Friends, your own life will teach you more, teach them more than your spoken doctrine will alone. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I I try to be an example for you of what it is to be a disciple. Friends, we hinder children from coming to Jesus when we don't actively engage with Jesus ourselves. Your your teaching through example is constant, and it requires intentional and diligent effort. Producing mature children and producing mature disciples doesn't happen by accident. It happens by adhering to God's design. Another hindrance to a child um, journeying to Jesus is the lack of discipline. The Bible states this, whoever spares a rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 13, 24. In, In modern times, this verse might be construed as I'm advocating physical punishment. Actually, that's not what it's saying. However... You know, it it refers to what is called a rod of correction, or or discipline. Your children, like us, are all sinners. I hate to tell you, your kids are sinners. Even little cute baby there is a sinner. We're all sinners, right? <laughs> We're all sinners, and and um, we naturally err. We natu- you don't have to teach your kids to sin. They they that comes preloaded. We we teach them we teach them to obey, right? We teach them to obey. I know what the world says, you know, it's all these other things, but we teach them to obey. God disciplines those he loves. That's what the word says. Imposing negative consequences for sin is how he disciplines. It's not punishment, it's discipline. Initially, you teach or train them to exhibit good behavior and And that's followed up by consequences for bad behavior. And these consequences can run a gamut of things, from spanking to loss of privileges to loss of freedom, you know, freedom to engage on the things that they enjoy. The rod of discipline should be age-appropriate. And friends, it is never, never to be delivered in our anger or with the intention to hurt. It's a part of training. In anger, we tend to sin. So we need to discern whether the child's action is due to their ignorance or the rebellion. Childishness, a mistake due to ignorance or inability, should never be punished. However, rebellious actions should be met with discipline to teach them the danger that is in rebellion, which their rebellion against you is essentially rebellion against God. And And when they're willing to rebel against you, they'll rebel against God. And and so it's putting them in danger. Consistent age-appropriate discipline teaches them that there are repercussions from their actions. A a, a parent who threatens but does not follow through teaches the child that there are no consequences for their actions, making the child a danger to themselves and, and, frankly, a danger to others. See, that, that child might hinder other children from approaching Jesus. For instance, if you allow your children just to run around in this place, in this church, and, and leave messes, or, or act without considering others, they, they become a hindrance in our church family. Their, their behavior could, could lead to potentially frightening or injuring older family members. We have many that are using canes and, and walkers. Their their disobedience could distract others in the worship time from hearing God's word or or cost the community to clean up after them because they don't clean up after themselves. And that reduces the amount of peanut butter and tortillas we can send on missions. We hinder other children by not disciplining our children. And, And friends, that's not judgment of anyone's kids here. They're just children. They need guidance. However, parents must avoid being selfish, avoiding conflict, and and the effort that it takes to truly discipline and and train their children, even at church. Even while you're sitting in church, you parent your kids in the pew. And you, you might argue that children should just be free to express themselves at church. We should not hinder them from being expressive. Friends, we want to give children freedom, but failing to discipline them could hinder them more in the long run and will possibly hinder others as well. It's selfish disobedience when we, as parents, ignore God's design for parenting. Now, friends, we should support our struggling parents. You know, some are doing it all on their own without a spouse, and we need to support them and encourage them in God's design and 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 to diligently help them to, to discipline. You know, Mike is a grandfather. was on the praise team day and his little granddaughters were running out to the street, and I said, come on back in here, and they came up. We don't want to. I said, your grandpa told me to tell you that, and I'm sorry that was a lie, but I knew that's what you would want, right? <laughs> so, I mean, we have to help them. It's not judgment, right? It's helpful. We're a family. Those are kind of like my little grandchildren, too, right? I care about them, so we help one another. Um, obviously, work with the parents, but you know, if you see a kid in danger, say something. <laughs> Don't just let them get hurt. Um, as a family, you know, we, we've offered classes. I'm willing to offer more classes to support and, and give guidance. You know, you more experienced parents. My mom is a great parent. I, you know, <laughs> the fact that I turned out at all, <laughs> get her advice. She's a wise woman. I mean, that's what the Bible says, is older parents help younger parents um, and that's what we're here to do. Parents must be, be, but the parents themselves have to be willing to believe that God's design surpasses the latest cultural trends. Because some are just looking for that latest cultural trend or their own need to be liked. They, they just want their kids to like them. And so they don't want to do this. Proverbs twenty nine fifteen states, The rod of reproof gives wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Friends, wisdom is fostered through the fear of the Lord. We become wise when we realize that going against his design brings consequences, while following it brings blessing. And we wish for no one here to face the shame of sin, To be a disciple is to learn to avoid sin. Sin and shame can hinder a child from coming to Jesus. The Bible says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from shield. Proverbs 23, 13 through 14. All children, including adults, disobey at times. And God disciplines those he loves. And I'll tell you this, if you're worried about physical punishment, I think I spanked my kids twice in their life. If you do it right, you don't have to keep doing it. See, when you're a threatening, repeating parent and they never have consequences, you're going to have to put discipline in more. But if they know that there's a consequence and they learn that, if they're trained, then they obey. And that happens in training. As we used to drive around the car when the kids were little, I would say, Megan. And she would say, yes, Daddy. And I'd say, Megan. And we'd practice her just identifying with my voice. And that actually saved her life. She was about three years old. We came out of a church one time, downtown Chicago. She goes running, because all kids run. That's just built into them. They run. She started running, and a bus was about to take her out. And I stopped, Megan! And she turned, and turned and walked back to me. That training saved her life. But I see a lot of parents... They say to their things their kids, their kids are running around and they don't do anything because they haven't been trained to listen to the parents. Training is important. It'll save their lives. The Bible says, do not withhold discipline from a child. Oh, I already did that. (laughs) Um, uh, Well, we'll repeat it. Don't withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Proverbs 23, 13 through 14. All children... All of us disobey at times. And because God loves us, he disciplines us and he trains us through life. Allowing experience and consequences from deviating from his design to come upon us so that we say, hey, it's better to do it his way. It's better to to follow his design. The, The goal is not to inflict pain. The goal is not to inflict shame. But it is to save a soul from hell. Another way we hinder children is to provoke them. As I mentioned in uh, uh, you know, we could provoke a child. And it says in Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And, and friends, to pr- provoke a child is when we discipline them in our anger or in our impatience instead of taking the time to train them. And it involves being overly legalistic and critical instead of encouraging them in the right way for their benefit. It also means not recognizing that each child has a different temperament, they have different abilities, and, and and understanding as we discipline. So we have to understand our children. If training is not done or are not done with patience and understanding, it will hinder that child. The the Bible further states, Fathers do not provoke children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Ephesians 6.4 In in a family, when discipline is administered, it is always done in compassion. God grants us compassion, and he he grants us grace. If there's a sin, there are consequences, and it's explained that it is a sin, And then discipline is administered. And then forgiveness is applied for the sin. And then restoration is applied. See, we we follow the gospel as we discipline. We provoke during discipline if we hold a grudge against our children or or withhold our relationship with them when when they sin against us, because they're going to. This will hinder the child, and, and that will provoke them to anger. See, good discipline always mirrors the gospel. And and friends, here's something true. It costs the discipliner more than the disciplined. It's a sacrifice to discipline your kids. Disciplining a teenager is no fun. They make you miserable for living and breathing if you discipline them. They, 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 They don't appreciate it, but it's a sacrifice. Jesus had to die for us jesus gives us a universal truth in mark ten fifteen. truly i say to you whoever does not receive the the kingdom of god is like a child shall not enter it we are children friends all of us or infants compared to god and, and friends, we have all failed at following His design for our lives. We have all acted entitled. We have all failed our children at times due to our own anger and our own selfishness and impatience. Parents, if your children seem hindered right now, and and you are serving the Lord, do not be discouraged. you know, I've been talking about it. I don't want you to feel like a failure. Don't be discouraged if you're training your child. And maybe it's not going the way you would like it to be right now. The Bible says this again, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. See, See, God acknowledges here that all children, including us, depart into foolishness and rebellion. But if you trust in the promise of his word, Friends, they will return. Even though they seem hindered, it says with age, when they get old, with age and maturity, they will return. Do not provoke them, but love and pray for them. It's natural for teens to push back. You don't need to provoke them, you need to pray for them. My parenting now is mostly prayer. When you have 30-year-olds, it's it's constant, but it's prayer. The older they get, the more it's prayer. And as they grow older, we trust that God will train them. He will train them through the brokenness that occurs in life when we stray from His design. God, our good Father, loves us enough sometimes to let us go in our foolishness and rebellion and get in trouble that we may realize our error and come running back to His loving arms like in the prodigal son. Friends, sometimes we don't need to obstruct the process as parents, but trust in the process. Sometimes the best thing you can do is let your child go. But you don't let them go completely like the prodigal son. The father's always looking. The father's always praying, waiting for, to rebe- embrace them on the return. All children must choose to enter the kingdom by their own accord. At the right time, as his design, Jesus says that everyone has their own choice. You know, even God did not have perfect children. He didn't. Adam and Eve rebelled, even though God gave them a perfect world to live in. He gave them a close relationship of love with himself, and they they departed. The the kingdom of God or our salvation in the gospel is something we each must choose to receive. Well-parented or poorly-parented, doesn't matter. Those children are responsible and accountable to receive the kingdom of God themselves. And when we do that, each of us, we must come as children. With, with nothing in our hands from this life, not our, our morality, not our good deeds, not our past successes or failures, we must simply come to Him and receive it as a gift, as, as hungry children wanting our, what is good from our Heavenly Father. See God sent his own son to receive us as infants snot-nosed dirty diapers and all to be born again by faith because our sin and our selfishness has got us into trouble and we often reject him John 1:11 states he came to his own and his own people did not receive him See friends we are all created by God so we in a sense we're all his children but the real problem for all, everyone here, and including our children, is we hinder ourselves from coming to Jesus. What did Jesus say? Let them come to me. Instead, we choose junk food like religion or, or sex or drugs or material consumption or even making our children gods by not disciplining them. We, we choose entertainment as our God instead of receiving him. And while we did not come to receive him, Jesus came to us. God came to us. Our brother Jesus took the rod of discipline for our sin. He obediently took the father's punishment on the cross. And God's discipline hurt him more than it hurts us. God sacrificed his own son for us because of his love for us. It hurt him more. And then after Jesus received our discipline, he died because death, friends, is the the natural consequence of our sin. But because God loves those, those who have been marginalized because of their sin, Jesus rose from the grave on the third day, proving that we had forgiveness and redemption in him. Sin had to be punished, and it was. But there was redemption and forgiveness. And he's asking you today not to be hindered by your pride and come as a child and receive his grace like a baby, like an infant today. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right To become children of God, who were born not by blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Those who come to Jesus don't just receive a simple blessing. They gain the right to become children of God by his grace. And that doesn't happen because we are perfect or because our earthly parents will that it would happen. It happens when we each as sinners receive by faith His promise and are born again as His children. And He is good. He will discipline us because He loves us, but we will not be eternally punished for our sin. Instead, we will inherit our Father's kingdom, an everlasting kingdom of eternal life. Today, come, friends. Come as you are, and receive his grace. Your, your heavenly Father loves you. He has proved it by by sending his own son for you. Stop rebelling against his design. Stop saying no to his voice, and turn and come to him today. He is the perfect parent. None of us are, but he is, and so if we failed in parenting. Come to him. That's the answer. Repent. Turn to him. Do it his way. Stop doing it your own way so that your children may live and understand who he is. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you for your grace and mercy. In the midst of my disobedience, you loved me. When nobody else cared enough to discipline me, you did. I'm thankful for a mom who did correct me. I'm thankful that she taught me and that she trained me. But there were times when I was out there on the own and I didn't have a guidance as a man and I had to learn it from you, Lord. And I thank you that that you are a father to the fatherless, that that you provide that discipline, you provide that love. And Father, there are some here today, Lord, that are realizing maybe they didn't get this from their parents but you are a father to the fatherless. And if they turn to you, that, Lord, you will be their father and that you will love them and you will train them and you will discipline them if they'll just surrender their lives to you. Father, let them come to you by faith right now, recognizing that you are so good that you let your son be punished for them and that you want to give them every good thing of life. Teach them not to rebel, but to follow closely to their good Father. I praise you, Jesus, for what you're doing right now through the Holy Spirit. I pray that we've all been convicted of our sins. I've failed so many times, Lord, we need to know that so that we'll turn running to you. And I, I pray that you're bringing that conviction. I hope that you're bringing the conviction that you are good, that you've always been there for us, and that you love us. And Lord, I pray that right now, People realize that time is short. Time is short for their own kids, that they need to start following your design because that cement is hardening. The time is short for them too because if they won't turn to you now, they will harden. And a hard heart doesn't receive you. Father, break open our hearts today that we might receive you and that we might find peace in your name. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. We're going to sing to you now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.